G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round 22 review, the penultimate round of the home and away season. And what a cracker it was. Some thrillers, some upsets, some controversy, um, and some huge ramifications for the final eight. One round left to play. What can happen? Well, in short, anything can happen. We have got three teams that can still finish on top. One side outside the top four that can force its way in. Two sides outside the top eight that can still make it. So it's going to be a fascinating final round. And we're going to tell you all about how we got to that stage over the weekend of footy. Of course, this podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. As I say, a very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. Well, it was a great weekend of footy, Fine. He really enjoyed it. How about you? I did. Uh, I would have enjoyed it more if St Kilda could, could have kept that uh, great start going against the Cats for an unlikely win. But I've got to ask you the question, Rowan. You haven't showed Fremantle any love at all this season, but they've done the Bombers a huge favour by winning the Derby. Are you turned around at all about the uh, Fremantle Dockers? You got any place in your heart for them? Uh, well, I don't know about my heart, but my head tells me that uh, they certainly found a bit in reserve today at the perfect moment uh, for them and at the perfect moment for anyone of the red and black persuasion. So thank you, Dockers. No, it was a good win by them, and we will talk about it very thoroughly. I'll tell you what I have got room in my heart for, though, Finey. I think you know where I'm headed with this. That is the biggest, juiciest, tastiest hamburger in the known world. <laughs> I reckon you've got room in somewhere else as well. Always make room for a beautiful burger. There's a huge difference. It's like a good footy team and a crap one. There's a huge difference between a burger that you love and a not good burger. In fact, I don't like some burgers that are out there, sloppy, not good quality meat, etc. I'd rather not eat them. I'd rather not even if I was starving. Whereas a beautiful burger is sometimes just what the doctor ordered or in this case, the hungry patron. Head down to 144 Bridport Street. I kid you not, people. I'll stand by it, and Rowan will as well. Magnificent burgers, Andrew's hamburgers. Full stop. Caps lock. OMG. (laughs) Whatever. They're just the best. And speaking of good quality, well, if you're in the position to have a property that you think needs an upgrade, a rebuild, in other words, if the land dictates it, why not get in touch with the boys at West Point Properties? Nick Spartels and the team, they are so good at making the best of whatever you present them and maximising your capital and your investment. And for all of us, 99 out of 100, our home is our number one financial investment. So maximise it with them. West Point Properties, Rowan. 
I've also got plenty of room in my heart, finally, for some compelling sports statistics. And you will find them courtesy of Stats Insider, the best sports data analysts in the business. They work across a range of 15 sports globally. They sample an event more than 10,000 times to give you the best range of possible and probable outcomes. It's all free to use. And you'll find some of the best independent sports writing in the caper as well. In fact, I've got a column coming up for them uh, tomorrow, actually, Monday. So check that one out. All free to use. Like I said, statsinsider.com.au. Give them a follow on Twitter whilst you're reading to at Stats Insider. All right, can't wait to get stuck into our review this week. It was a cracking weekend of footy. Let's talk about it. On Footyology. Wrap around. Round 22 kicked off at Marvel Stadium Friday evening with a de facto final between two top eight aspirants, GWS and Richmond. They'd played at the same ground earlier this season, and that one was a thriller. The Tigers just scraping over the line in that first meeting. Not the case this time because GWS essentially blew the Tigers off the park. A very comfortable 39-point win to the Giants who move into the top eight and uh, almost certain to stay there. You'd think the final scores, GWS 16-10-106, defeating Richmond 10-7-67. The goals, four to Taranto, replacing Toby Green as that small forward and doing it brilliantly. Three to Himmelberg. Two to DeBoer, two to Lloyd, singles to Hogan, Hopper, Mumford, Perryman and Ward. Four the Tigers, two to Baker, two to Bolton, two to Lynch, singles to Coleman-Jones, Edwards, Morris Rioli Jr. and Rewalt. Well, uh, the writing on the wall pretty early in this game, finally, six goals to two by quarter time, another six goals to the Giants in the second quarter. In fact, they had a 50-point lead, as good as unassailable, by the halftime break, which made the second half pretty redundant, really. And uh, again, some of us misread Richmond. I thought they were on the way back after that uh, imposing second half against North Melbourne last week. Not to be. They were found wanting by a side that was more determined, more efficient, and just better in basically every conceivable department. What did you make of this guy? Well, not quite the king is dead, long live the king, but the king is dead, long live the prince maybe. I'll tell you what, Rowan, when you're brilliant for four years, three premierships, you make a few enemies along the way. And of course, their drubbing of GWS in a grand final would still be burning in the memories of many of those GWS players who would have taken great pleasure in driving the sword into the Tigers. You could see that by the last 15 minutes, there was no mercy. How did they do it? Brilliant. Brilliant coaching. Taranto up forward was great. That only works, of course. You rob Peter to pay Paul. It only works if you can replace him in the midfield because you need midfield depth. And I thought the role played by some of the lesser giants was very important here. The likes of Xavier O'Halloran, uh, Matt DeBoer, who chimed in with a couple of goals, were important bit part players. And quite frankly, their top, their, their sort of 22 to 30 is far better than Richmond's. And that's where Richmond has fallen over this year. 
Yeah, I agree. Certainly some question marks about uh, some of the introductions to that Richmond lineup this year. I just wanted to say this about GWS, that they've really got back that forward potency again in the last couple of weeks. And uh, interestingly, without Jeremy Finlayson, who'd been a pretty solid part of that combination, but uh, Himmelberg looking good. Look, Jesse Hogan really didn't do a lot, but he's there in reserve. We've got Toby Green to come back into it. Um, they've got quite a, a spread of good goal kickers now, so that's a huge plus for them. Uh, as far as Richmond goes, I think their depth has really been found out this year. We've seen a, a parade of younger players come into that side. None of them have really made their presence felt in the way that the likes of Noah Bolter and Jack Higgins in previous seasons were able to come in and, and Jake Arts last year even come into that side and be pivotal members of that team. And I guess in a way, it's just natural attrition. You know, they've lost a lot of fringe players over the last four years who've sought opportunities elsewhere. They haven't had as high draft picks and it all ends up taking a toll. Um, I think it's sort of further vindication of the theory that, uh, you know, four or five years is a long time to be up in today's football. Agreed. Rowan, can I ask you, we can discuss it, can I ask you whether you think they've got any ageing stars that might be surplus to needs next year or at least cause for concern? Well, I think the obvious one's Basho Hawley, isn't it? Um, a lot of questions being asked about Trent Cotchin, but I sort of feel like his form over the last month or so has been a lot better. But, um, you know, look, even Dusty, I'm, I'm not for a moment suggesting he's not part of their future, but uh, you're talking about guys that are older than 30 now. So certainly in the back half of their careers, uh, it'll be interesting back to see... Jack Rewalt? Uh, another one, yeah. And he was incredibly quiet in this game, kicked one goal almost on siren time. Um, they've certainly got some tougher list decisions to make this year than previous years. That said, I mean, look, there's no doubt their defence has been incredibly disrupted this year. I mean, we're, you know, on Friday night, we had no Bolter, no Broad, no Hooley, no McIntosh, no Asbury. There's five of a, a premiership back six. So that really does knock you around. I don't think they're done yet. I still think they've got a bit of juice left in the tank and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they're a, a big contender next year. I'll throw this one to you. How far can the Giants go this September? Some way. And they could also go no way. The one thing that they do have going for them is a lot of star power and X factor. Not just Toby Green. I think we're now getting a bit of that out of uh, Himmelberg. We're getting some of it out of Kelly and Taranto. And you know what? Even a guy like Lloyd, he's, he's an interesting player, doesn't need to have a lot of shots at goal, and they don't have to be close in to win a game of footy. So they've got a few match winners there. Yeah, certainly a side that's going to provide at least think music, I think, for the top four this year. Uh, what's coming up in the final home and away game? Well, the Giants scheduled to play Carlton at Marvel Stadium. You think they'd make pretty short work of them on uh, this weekend's form, certainly. And the Tigers drawn to play Hawthorne, who are in really good nick at the moment. So that is going to be no easy task for them at all. Might even go into that one. Underdogs, that game scheduled for the MCG. 
All right, that was Friday night. We had five games on the Saturday. One in the afternoon, two twilight, and two Saturday evening. Let's have a chat about them. Launceston, the venue for the Saturday afternoon game between Hawthorne, their second home, of course, and the Western Bulldogs coming off a loss last week. Could they get back on track? Well, no, as it transpired, because Hawthorne, the better side all day, And what was, it had to be said, a pretty scrappy affair for the most part. Difficult conditions down in Tassie. It was blowy. It was cold. There was rain about. But Hawthorne handled it far better than did the Premiership aspirant. The final scores, Hawthorne, nine goals, 10, 64. Easy winners over the doggies, just 5, 7, 37. By some margin, their lowest score this season. The goal kickers for the Hawks, two to Kaczynski, singles to McAvoy, Bramble, Hanrahan, Mitchell, Lewis, Wingard and Howe. For the Doggies, two to Cody Waitman and singles to Hannon, Norton and Garcia. Well, finally, I reckon I spent uh, well into the third quarter waiting for the Doggies to click. And in fact, shortly after halftime, it did look like they had started to click. They came out and rattled on three quick goals in just four minutes. Um, What did Hawthorne have in response? Well, as it turned out, they had plenty because they kicked the next four and were never headed thereafter. Some really good performance for them. Daniel Howe, arguably his best ever game for the Hawks. Uh, Young Newcomb, pretty impressive for them. O'Brien, good in defence. Wingard, good again. Uh, It's really all come together for the Hawks since the Alistair Clarkson kerfuffle. And for the Doggies, well, they had no Josh Bruce. They only kicked five goals. Difficult conditions, admittedly. But do they have a bit to worry about now, Finey? Well, like Brisbane, who has taken a while to re-adjust, recalibrate after they lost Hipwood, it seems as though Brisbane now have a functioning forward line again. The Doggies can at least be thankful that they've got another game to wrap their head around no Josh Bruce because it looks as though they aren't functional. Were you surprised that Jamara Hugel Hagen, who played alongside Bruce and Norton for two or three weeks, didn't play when Bruce was unavailable? Uh, I was. Uh, I thought he would be now an essential part of any finals forward combination they put together. Yeah, I mean, he's interesting, Luke Beveridge. Let's just say that. I want to talk about Hawthorne for a moment, and we can then have a look at the Bulldogs. But when you think that Hawthorne has, to me, arguably their most um, exciting prospect, Will Day not in the team, no Sicily, who, by the way, is probably ready to go almost, they say, but they'll save him for next year. No Bruce or Gunston up forward. They may not have them next year. No Granger Barras. O'Meara pulled out just before the game. They've got a lot to work with next season, Rowan. I mean, uh, I, Bramble was quiet, but we know he's very good. I think that once again, Hawthorne will regenerate and become relevant almost within. 12 months of people thinking that they're going to be off the scene for a while. They're an amazing club. Well, I think what's happened is the the younger players have started to show more and more. I, I sort of feel like for much of this season, some of the senior players weren't pulling their weight. But in the last month, you've seen them 
really get on board and it's made a huge difference. It just means that the, you know, the sum of those two parts is considerably more than a lot of people think. Um, I mean, Bramble has been a, I know he was quieted yesterday, but he's been a fantastic uh, turn up for them. He's been terrific. Newcomb, the, the mid-season draft pickup, he's played some really good footy for them. I, I really like the look of Kaczynski. He, to me, looks a definite um, long-term prospect in a key forward post. And then um, you've got the likes of, uh, I nearly called him Lewis Mitchell, Mitch Lewis. I mean, we're, you know, we're still only really seeing glimpses from him here and there. Um, you know, Sam Mitchell next year, has a lot to work with. I guess the big question for Hawthorne is, should it be Sam Mitchell working with it or uh, have they absolutely shot themselves in the foot? Because once again, Alistair Clarkson coaching magnificently. Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if Sam Mitchell is not an ideal fit for Hawthorne. First of all, he's surely in this transition period had a big say in how they're playing anyhow. So as much as we can say post the retirement announcement being brought forward to the end of this year, they haven't lost. And Alistair Clarkson's a genius. Don't worry, Sam Mitchell's got his fingerprints all over it as well. Let's have a look at the doggies. They have had two losses you wouldn't have expected in two weeks coming into the finals. They lay vulnerable for the double chance. Um, they, they need it. They want it. They should get it, but they might not. It's a very interesting uh, stage of the equation there. Brisbane, uh, of course, with a big win on Saturday night, they have pushed up within uh, under 2% of the Bulldogs on percentage. And the Bulldogs got a tough game next week. So uh, top four, double chance by no means assured. And of course, yet to be confirmed, but if uh, indeed we have no pre-finals by this year, the premium on that top four spot is going to be greater than it's been at any time since 2015. So, boy, the doggies are in a position of strength and the last two weeks have really put themselves on the finals tightrope again. Let's see what sort of response they can muster. As for the Hawks, well, you'd be finishing off this season next week very comfortable with the position they are in, certainly as a team if not a club, going ahead to 2022. They play Richmond next week at the MCG and the Doggies, like I said, clearly the most important game of the final round. Western Bulldogs taking on Port Adelaide at Marvel Stadium and we think at this stage pretty confident that will be the Friday night game and a massive game it will be. All right, we had two Twilight games. Uh, we had one in Geelong. And we had one in Adelaide. Time to discuss them. Big game for two sides uh, aspiring to finals. Geelong, of course, already booked in. St Kilda still with some sort of hope. But it was going to require a massive effort, of course, beating Geelong at Geelong. Never easy. Uh, the Saints hadn't done it for more than 20 years. Well, they gave it a fantastic crack this time. They really did throw the kitchen sink at the Cats. Kicked the first five goals of the game, no less. They were ahead by 31 points. In the end, the Cats clawing their way back and finishing with a 14-point win to uh, 
officially hammer the nail in St Kilda's finals coffin, but not without one hell of a struggle. It was a good game, this. Geelong, 13-7, 85, defeating the Saints, 11-5-71. The goal kickers, Jeremy Cameron, made a big difference. His return, four goals, three goals to Tom Hawkins, singles to Stanley, Menegola, Close, Simpson, Smith, and Dangerfield, a crucial goal right at the end of the game with only a couple of points for difference. For St Kilda, Membry, three. King, whose start to this match was very imposing. Two goals, two to Crouch, two to Sharman, singles to Jones and Higgins. Well, finally, I nearly made a colossal idiot of myself. I think I said on Footyology Final Siren, St Kilda will not win very categorically. Well, they nearly did. You must have been pretty proud of them, even in defeat. Yeah, look, there was plenty to like and plenty to respect from Geelong's perspective as well. I think we've got to really start at the news that was filtering through prior to the game. We knew Tom Stewart was out, but a foot injury sustained during training means he's unlikely to play again this year. And for the first 20 minutes, they were all at sea without him. St Kilda was so efficient going forward. There was nobody in the hole. As you say, Max King, outstanding. And over the last couple of weeks, last month, his goal-kicking has matched his marking ability. Jason Dunstall's kept a close eye on Max King. I think he's a fan. And he's noted that in the last month, he started to get on his bike. And once mobile, if the ball's put in the right spot, he's almost impossible to counter. A couple of times he didn't mark. He could have got free kicks, to be honest. Unfortunately, that adductor injury that had him in doubt for the game flared up and he was off five minutes. Actually, after he kicked that goal, put St Kilda 31 points up, he went off and even though he came back on, he was clearly hampered. No excuses, though, because Geelong were not conscientious early, but they became so, very much so after quarter time and more so after half time. Jack Steele had something like 22 touches to half time, but only ended with 30. It was Dangerfield that got off the leash in the second half and was outstanding. Look, they are a team, Geelong, that when allowed to play their brand of football, which is high possession, uh, can be impossible to put a, a stop to. And even though it was close towards the end of the game, Geelong had so much of the ball, St Kilda needed a miracle. And they got a couple of opportunities. Cooper Sharman's an interesting player. He knows how to kick a goal, the St Kilda mid-season draft. So that mid-season draft, it's been great for Essendon, great for St Kilda, great for Hawthorne. And I saw Pete Ling, he's playing for GWS. It's really reaped some benefits this year. So all in all, a decent effort by the Saints. I think a couple of players were down that could have made the difference. Rowan Marshall didn't have his best game. And, um, well, Luke Dunstan... I know that there are fans. I'm not one of his fans. And he's slow. He's slow when he gets the ball, either by mind or by dint of how he gets rid of it. And that cost him killed a late in the game when he had a kick from 55 metres out and dwelt on it and ended up doing nothing with it. I agree with you. The, the ramifications of Tom Stewart are absolutely enormous. I mean, he's their defensive organiser. He's a fantastic intercept mark. He's a really good kick, you know, great distributor of the footy. 
And they did look all at sea without him early on. He, to me, is definitely the general of that defence. Now, uh, you know, they get Zach Tui back at some stage, but they are going to enter the early stages of the finals with their defence not nearly as organised and as adept as we've been used to it being. And that is a key plank of everything they do. It all starts from defence for Geelong. So you can't really overstate the significance of that injury. Massive uh, replanning exercise, I guess, for Chris Scott and co. I want to ask you a quick one about St Kilda, Finey. Uh, really disappointing for much of this season, but the moments they have got their act together, they have looked to be at that level they were last year. Now, we've speculated a bit about the sort of list issues they have and the amount of work they've got to do on that over the summer, do we end this season feeling the same way or are we perhaps cutting them a bit more slack because of these sorts of positive performances they've turned on more in the back half of the season? I think I think history shows quite a few teams that have made the finals after an absence and had a year off and rebounded. So that's not a death knell this season. They certainly didn't miss Billings over the last two weeks. I think he might have, if I don't know if he's available next week. I think he's played his last game for St Kilda. I think Dunstan's got one game to go. Um, they're both free agents. So I believe Dunstan wants to go and Billings will go. Um, there's a few players there that uh, have question marks over them. Brad Hill, look, I defend him, but I can't defend what he did in the last quarter. By the way, he gave away two goals. That wasn't particularly helpful, I should add. Um, yeah, look, I, th- I, I think St Kilda soldier on, and but a lot of it rests on the shoulders of Big Max King, doesn't it? You know, he's going to be the focal point in his development. If unhindered by injury, let's hope it will be, could could rise as St Kilda rises. He's certainly a fantastic prospect. Really exciting over the last few weeks, no doubt about that. Well, one game to finish it off before we get to that planning for 2022 stage. And the Saints, they will be taking on Fremantle at Marvel Stadium. As for the Cats, well, they've got a finals, yet another final series to get ready for, but not before a pretty significant clash as well against another premiership aspirant in Melbourne that game to be played at GMHBA Stadium. All right, whilst that was being played, another game over in Adelaide. Port Adelaide took on Carlton at Adelaide Oval. Significant moment for the Blues. Uh, former skipper and champion of the club, Mark Murphy, playing his 300th and final match for the Blues. Unfortunately, he couldn't play it as part of a strong lineup because the Blues have lost everyone. They've lost Harry Mackay, they've lost Liam Jones, and they lost skipper Patrick Cripps not long before the start of this game. So you couldn't have had too much hope that they were going to pull something extraordinary out for Mark Murphy. They gave it a crack early. In fact, at one stage in the second quarter of this game, they led five goals to two. And people were thinking, well, could this amazing thing happen? Well, no, it couldn't. Because from there on, Port Adelaide kicked 19 unanswered goals. In fact, the Blues didn't kick another goal for the rest of this game. Goalless in the second half and a crushing 
95-point win to the power, building confidence nicely before another assault on a flag. The goal kickers, uh, sorry, the final scores, 21-14, 140, Port Adelaide, Carlton, 5-15-45. The goals, four to Charlie Dixon, three to Gray, two to Marshall, two to Georgiades, two to Fantasia, two to Bergman, singles to Boak, Lysette, Rosie, Laddams, Mays, and Houston. That is a lot of goal kickers. In fact, that is 12 individual goal kickers. Any coach would be pretty happy to see that. For the Blues, two to Honey, singles to McGovern, Kennedy, Casbolt. Well, stirring stuff for Carlton early, finally, but just an absolute training drill from about midway through the second quarter. You couldn't see that Carlton team that took the field being competitive over there. So I guess four marks to them for being competitive for a quarter and a half. But boy, did they block their copybook thereafter. It was a bit concerning how Port Adelaide were in pre-season gear this close to the finals for a quarter and a half. They won't want to do that again. That being said, what happened there afterwards would have been pleasing. And as you say, the spread of goal kickers relevant to the point of being um, a concern for other teams. Because we know that the likes of uh, Rosie Butters, um, when playing, of course, Gray, but now Sam Mays and others, they know where the goals are. So there's something that some of their teams around them in the top four are struggling for. Certainly the doggies at the moment, Melbourne at times, and even Geelong at times. They do have some firepower. Of course, they won't get it on their own terms like this. Now, I saw David Teague's press conference after the game, Rowan. He's an honest man, a decent man, and a man sort of under siege and was asked, is this the game that's going to you know, be the death sentence, the nail in the coffin? And he said, look, it doesn't help. But he hopes that their wiser heads prevail. What do you reckon? Well, yeah, I saw that. And I also saw the footage of him sitting on a, a plastic chair on his own in the rooms afterwards, just pondering some stats. And it was, uh, I felt quite sad. You know, it was, um, it's, it's like everyone sort of deserting his side, I think. I think he's gone. I, I think there's too much writing on the wall. I think um, there are people there that definitely want him gone and that's been displayed in the fact that this review of the club, you know, and these things supposedly being kept in-house has been systematically leaked to the media on almost a daily basis and every bit of that leaked information has been surrounding Teague's weaknesses, not nothing positive at all. So... Uh, someone at that club in a high position is in a uh, is on a mission to get him, and uh, I, sadly for him, I think they've succeeded. And yeah, look, I, I can understand concerns about their de- the de- lack of defensive aspect to their game, but I also I think he's made them a much more positive side, and I think the the good moments they've had have been as a function of that. You know, there's a positivity about them now you didn't necessarily see. I feel sorry for him. And he's also a victim of circumstances in that there are, you know, some biggish names uh, available on the coaching market, which obviously hasn't helped either. Just want to say quickly about Port Adelaide. 
Um, you know, we're, we're both pretty sceptical about their flag chances, but some important pluses out of this. Uh, Alia Alia has played a couple of outstanding defensive games in a row, so that's important for them. I think Darcy Byrne-Jones had struggled a bit earlier on. I think he's starting to come good again. I think they continue to find some, you know, exciting youngsters. I think Bergman's one of them. And I think their midfield is ticking over pretty nicely. I mean, Travis Boak has just been incredibly durable and consistent. Ollie Wines has had a great season. And we've spoken quite a bit about Carl Amon, about how he's become a really important part of that side. So, look, they're top four. They've got the Bulldogs next week. They could display their credentials there. Their recent history suggests they're not the sort of side that can really take it to those sides, hive and them on the ladder. But, you know, look, last year they were all set up on top of the ladder and didn't get there. Maybe it works in reverse this time. You certainly wouldn't completely dismiss their chances come finals time this year. I would say, as far as Port Adelaide's concerned, they're only one, you know, that the, for, the things are working out well for them. Their injuries were suffered mid-season. And they've got most of the band back together. And they sit back and look at Geelong losing Stewart and Bruce not available for the doggies and start to see some uh, holes appearing in their immediate rivals. You know what? It's uh, A lot of it's about timing and they... Going to hit the finals in, in pretty healthy, Nick. I reckon next week's an important game, Rowan. Well, it's a massive game against the Western Bulldogs. Will be played at Marvel Stadium. We're pretty confident that one will be Friday evening. As to the Blues, they round off another overall disappointing campaign and quite likely the last game for coach David Teague. Up against GWS, that game also at Marvel Stadium. All right, two Saturday night games next off the rank. Well, Brisbane looked like they started to get their mojo back last week. Was that a false dawn or the genuine article? Well, after this result, you would say very much the latter. A thumping victory to the Lions over Collingwood. The final scores 22-10, 142. In these days, that is a pretty massive scoreline. Up against the Pies, 8 9 uh, Pretty even first quarter, four goals to three. But Brisbane kicking seven goals in each of the second and third terms. Absolutely taking it to the Pies and really seem to have recovered a fair bit of that zip and attacking flair. The goal kicker, six to Charlie Cameron. Outstanding performance from him. Three to Danaher, three to McStay. Two to Cockatoo, two to McCarthy, singles to Archie, Bailey, Birchall, Lyons, McLuggage and Neil. For the Pies, two to Ginevan, two to Thomas, singles to Cameron, Dugowie, Henry and Majacek. Well, very shortly after uh, quarter time in this one at the Gabba, finally the writing very much on the wall. And it was put on the wall in the sort of style that makes people like watching Brisbane and makes people think that they can really do some damage in the finals, certainly if they get that top four spot, because their forward line, we know Hipwood's a big loss, but they've readjusted and they've got players in good form. Charlie Cameron is definitely a form player, no doubt about it, and he's hot again. And when he's hot, that 
causes nervousness in the defence and opportunities, not only for Charlie Cameron, but for others, as Cockatoo proved, as McCarthy proved, and Maynard himself, normally such a steady, reliable player, became a bit of a bag of nerves. And there were words between Dugowie and Maynard at three-quarter time, as Dugowie pointing out some lax marking, costing Collingwood dearly in that third quarter. Came out in the last quarter and Cameron did him again a couple of times in a row and Maynard had to be moved further up the ground. Danaher looked great. His goal kicking is sometimes a concern. And when a person's 20 metres out on a slight angle and kicks back 45 metres to Lockie Neal, who ended up missing from 50 or... He ended up kicking from about 45, 50 out. It just shows that Danaher doesn't believe he's a good kicker goal. But he's marking the ball well and moving well. Cockatoo, well, he's loved down there. God, when he gets a goal, do they get around him? And he's dangerous. He knows where the goals are. He's not the running machine he was at Geelong, but he is a good footballer. Zach Bailey, he got the season going for them early in the year with that goal after the siren against Collingwood. Well, I'll tell you what, he got them going in this game as well. Moved further up the field. He had plenty of the ball and was excellent. And I want to finish on this note, Rowan. I know you love him. Surely Jared Lyons is all Australian. Well, I certainly hope so. What a fantastic story that would be. A guy who has really had to battle everywhere he's gone until he's been at Brisbane where he's had uh, sufficient faith shown in his abilities and he's absolutely responded. And of all the, the good pickups they've had, and obviously Lockie Neal, et cetera, have been fantastic for them. But this guy, uh, he has just so far exceeded, I reckon, the value even they thought they might get from him. Outstanding story. Look, Just think... on him very quickly, you know, whose career reminds me of Jared Lyons in the who? past? Who? Adrian Fletcher, who was a good player at a number of clubs and they kept letting him go. Yep, yep. No, good uh, good analogy, I think. Look, a couple of things stand out to me. We've talked a lot about them struggling post-Hipwood, um, but uh, I think the answer was there last time. I think Cockatoo can be a really important part of what they do in the finals. And Lincoln McCarthy is really important to them too. And when he fires, they inevitably fire. I, I noticed Zach Bailey as well. I was thinking exactly the same thing. You know, he is the sort of guy they need on board consistently. And even a guy like Archie, I think he really gave them good value last night too. So it's that spread of contributors. I think that's what was missing when they went through that period of three losses in four games, but no doubt in the uh, big win over Frio last week and in this one, um, they have got that flair and spark and they're just sparking again. It's quite an intangible thing almost, but they look dangerous. They're moving the ball quicker and it's back to the Brisbane, which um, for much of the last two years and at stages, even this season has looked every possible chance of winning a flag. Now, a lot may depend on them getting that double chance and they need other sides to play ball. But, uh, boy, if they get it, ooh, uh, it's a, a different ball game, I think. A quick word on the Pies, too. We've uh, waxed and waned a bit on them. I think there's been moments in recent weeks where we've been quite impressed by some of those younger players coming through. Uh, the season's finishing on a bit of a downer, they're finding. I'm not sure they're going to go away thinking, wow, our future is bright indeed. You know, where, where they key players weren't playing was where they got punished. 
Darcy Moore is a huge loss because that back line's very pedestrian without him. They've got some triers, you know. I mean, the likes of Magden and Noble, they try their guts out, but they're not poised footballers and they're not footballers that can marshal a back line. Likewise, Pendlebury sorely missed in the middle where it's just too thin. Unfortunately, the work is spread. Adams, he tries hard. He's a good player, Taylor Adams. I like him. And so is the former Lion Crisp. They've both had good seasons. Adams interrupted by injury. And up forward, well, Ginevan has actually shown up players that play more regularly. Thomas, why does he only ever play the last 20 minutes of a game of footy? I'm, I'm not sold on him. And, of course, Dugowie tried hard. His kicking boots weren't on. And the likes of him and Elliot, unfortunately, um, in flashes, they're superstars, but their bodies have let them down a bit, I guess. Collingwood are going next year. I've got to tell you, in many people's opinion, they're going to be starting 18th on the grid because North Melbourne, Hawthorne and Gold Coast, teams around them, and even Adelaide, have probably got more to look forward to. Well, whoever ends up getting that uh, job certainly has some work to do. No question about that. The Pies finish off their season next week with an MCG clash against Essendon. And for Brisbane, gearing up for another tilt at a flag. They have got a home clash at the Gabba against West Coast. So looking to continue building that confidence heading into the finals. All right, the other Saturday night game was at Marvel Stadium. Let's discuss that one. North Melbourne took on Sydney under the roof. Uh, Sydney, of course, at that same venue, pretty disappointing. The previous game against St Kilda was life on the road and that whole grind starting to get to them a bit. Well, you wouldn't have thought so early. The Swans certainly uh, jumped out of the gates the better of these two teams and, in fact, had a five-goals-plus lead at halftime. But credit where it's due, North Melbourne came flying back into this contest, in the end, going down by just 14 points. The final score, Sydney 13-13-91, defeating North Melbourne 12-5-77. The goal kickers for the Swans. Three to Haywood, two to Papley. Singles to Heaney, Wicks, Campbell, Parker, McLean, Dawson, Goulden and Florence. For the Roos, three to Cam Zerhar, two to Nick Larkey, two to young Eddie Ford. He looks a prospect. And singles to Stevenson, Taylor, Anderson, Thomas and Combin. Well, quite remarkable, this one, Finey. Swans 31 points up halftime. You think, well... This is going to be a pretty tepid second half. But North just kept hanging in there. Four goals to two in the third term. Gave them some sort of outside chance. And then they dominated the early part of the last quarter. By the time Jed Anderson kicked one, that that put them within just a couple of points. And they had kicked eight of the last ten goals. And this is where, again, you give credit to Sydney. From that moment, they really steadied and really dominated both territory and the scoreboard. Will Haywood bobbing up with a couple of important goals. Ollie Florent finishing things off for the Swans, but not quite at their best. And uh, as much as they started to turn things around and at least got an important win on board, I thought this game spoke as much about North Melbourne and the Roos' future, which increasingly is looking pretty bright. 
I agree. I couldn't imagine there are too many North Melbourne supporters out there not looking forward to 2022 and not really pleased with not even the second half of the season, probably everything after round seven or eight. So the last two thirds of the season have been promising. <laughs> you mentioned Eddie Ford kicked a couple of goals. Every time I heard, he's one of those players that when he gets a ball, they call him Eddie Ford rather than Ford. And I thought a couple of times, what's Betty Ford doing out there? But of course it was Eddie Ford. Uh, he's another of the touted prospects that I'm sure will bear fruit in the future. They would be very pleased with how their young players have stepped up. I saw Combin. He's only a new player in the side. And again, none of them look out of place willing, willingness-wise. That forward line that boasts Larky and Zerhar probably needs another tall forward to share the load. Of course, Zerhar's a small to mid-sized forward, but it's dangerous when functional. Remember, they've done it the last month, basically, without their best player, Ben Cunnington. Anderson, who's missed much of the year, he's a good footballer and... He'll be, they'll be hoping he gets a clear run at it next season. As for the Swans, they're a bit creaky and rusty. No Franklin. Will Haywood's been important for them recent times. It's funny, you know, when it was a high-scoring game back in the day, Rowan, players like Will Haywood would have been sort of derisively called a pop-gun forward. I reckon it's good to have a pop-gun forward now that kicks two or three a game. Well, he's a decent size too. He's one of those guys you look at uh, and, and think, oh, yeah, he's a, a bit sort of in between, not that much of him. But I was looking at him last night thinking he actually has got some decent size and strength about him. And he's a lovely kick for goal. In fact, I think his uh, conversion rate is right up among the best in the AFL. So he could actually prove to be a really important part of their finals plans. Uh, pleasing for me, my boy, Robottom. Uh, I thought a, a really good game from him. He might have just booked himself a spot in their uh, first choice 22 for finals. And the other observation, just quickly, and look, you know, he didn't end up in the best. He didn't kick a goal, but Justin McInerney, I love that man. He is going to be a star of the competition, I reckon. I first noticed him last year when the Swans played Melbourne up in, uh, I think it was Cairns or Townsville or somewhere like that. But uh, I noticed him that game and I've kept a pretty close eye on him since. And he just oozes class. He is a seriously good player. Really looking forward to watching him and all those other Swans kids throughout the finals. They have been one of the stories of the season and uh, at least uh, not at their best in this game, but at least got the win on the board. So uh, hopefully a bit more confidence to be built for them before they attack the finals full tilt. They do so next week, easing into the final series. I shouldn't say easing into, but they have got a game against Gold Coast at the SCG. You would, by rights, expect them to win. And North Melbourne uh, finish off this season with a game against Adelaide at Adelaide Oval. So another good chance for the Roos to steal a victory there. That was the five games on the Saturday. Three more important games on the Sunday. Let's get into them. The first game on the card on Sunday saw Melbourne taking on Adelaide at the MCG. A win would put Melbourne back on top of the AFL ladder. 
and they got it. Uh, not without a decent fight from the Crows, it should be said. Uh, the margin perhaps a little bit deceptive about just how tough a struggle the Demons had on occasion in this game. The final scores, Melbourne, 16-8, 104. 41 point victors over Adelaide, 9-9-63. The goal kickers, well, what a day out for Bailey Fritch. Seven goals, including the last five that Melbourne scored and the last three of the game coming in about three or four minutes. Terrific performance from him. Two goals to Brown, two to Jackson, two to Petrarca, singles to Melksham, Pickett and Spargo. For the Crows, three to Darcy Fogarty, two to McAdam, singles to Lynch, McKay, Murphy, Seedsman. Well, it looked like uh, a pretty routine win coming up to the Demons early in this game, finally. They were out by the best part of four goals at half time. But the Crows really showed some pluck in that third quarter, rattled on a few quick goals and closed the gap to virtually nothing before Melbourne steadied again like a good team does and four goals to one in the final term, seeing them home. Back on top of the ladder. Uh, I don't know how to feel about this in terms of finals preparation. Do you think they'd be happy enough with this or is there still a bit of work to be done? Well, Ro, first of all, if this was just a walk in the park, then nobody told Adelaide. They were really game, I thought. Inaccurate in the first quarter. They really could have made more of their opportunities. And as you said, came out after half time, full of intent. And I've got to give them credit. They rattled the cage of the Demons, who did steady. Look, Max Gorn had a huge advantage in the ruck. He's playing against a, a second gamer. And he took advantage well and truly, as a captain should. I thought it started with him and, of course, ended as you rightly pointed out, five times in a row with one Bailey Fricks, who is that really good mid-sized forward that when they put their homework, the opposition, into the big forwards, what do we do about Jackson? What do we do about Brown? Have to have somebody for Cozzy Pickett. Got to be careful if Tom McDonald's playing. That guy can get off the leash. And he certainly did. Look, how should Melbourne feel about it? If there was a real powerhouse in the competition, you'd want to be playing better football than just about the entire top four has played over the last month. But let's be honest, top of the ladder for a team that hasn't been there since 1964 and they won the premiership that year, they're getting the job done by hook or by crook. Couple of observations, yeah. Gorn outstanding in the ruck. The uh, hit-out tally in the finish, 48 to 27. He was a tower of strength for the Demons. Luke Jackson, though, what a prospect he is. Chipped in with a couple of goals. And I don't think either of us are much of a rap for Ruckman uh, being de facto key forwards. But of those Ruckman that are used forward, he, to me, seems to be definitely one of the more capable of them. And those two goals... And any he can uh, weigh in with come finals could be really value. The other point is Ben Brown, not overly conspicuous today, but still chipped in with a couple himself. And I think he really helps spread the uh, opposition's defensive responsibilities. And that, no doubt in my mind, that helps someone like Bailey Fritch get off the chain. And uh, he's a really good player, Fritch. He's so composed, 
lovely kick of the footy. Um, he could be a valuable weapon for him. Look, it's all about scoring power for me, for the Demons, in terms of flag prospects. We know how good their defence is, even today, without Stephen May. Managed to uh, keep the Crows to just nine goals. We know their midfield's strong and it wins plenty of the footy. The forward line has been the question mark. And no doubt, they are looking a lot more potent. They've topped 100 points. They've kicked 16 goals. They'd be pretty happy with that. Where do you think uh, Adelaide's at heading towards next year? Well, like a couple of the teams around them on the ladder, they've used a part of this season to make sure that all the youngsters on the list are looked at and developed. And I think they'd be pretty happy with how some of that has turned out. Key defender Butts is a long-term prospect. They'd be very pleased with how Schoenberg has developed this season. They've got a number of players. I, oh, by the way, I want to mention Fogarty, who it's easy to get down on him, and I was down on him two or three weeks ago for lack of impact. He kicked three goals, magnificent long kick to McAdam that was an assist for a fourth goal. Beautiful play in that first quarter. He stood up. He didn't take a backward step, and maybe the unfortunate situation around Taylor Walker and his short and potentially long-term unavailability might have clicked the switch for Darcy Fogarty and made him realise that he is the man. And speaking of being the man, what a great effort by a little demon called Bowie, son of Brett Bowie, a former saint, who has definitely carved himself a spot in the top team on the ladder. Not a bad effort having in his first season, played most of the year in the stop-start VFL. Yeah, no, it's it's been a great sort of late coming into that team. Final one, just about one player on the Crows. We know Tom Lynch isn't being offered a contract for next year. Do you think there'll be enough suit or any suitors for Tom Lynch? 100%. The best of Tom Lynch, and we saw it today, hard runner, possession winner, probably doesn't have the moles in his legs to have converted them into goals, a couple of shots were weak attempts, but he can kick goals. He'd be the perfect fit for a team that believes that they're not far off it. As a forward, wide-ranging, if he stays fit, he's a great pickup. And speaking of great pickups, Rowan, I didn't think Paul Seedsman had a heap of football in him after he left Collingwood. Well, he's got a heap of football in him. He's been there now for, must be five years, and playing his best football now. Yeah, he's been good value, no doubt about that. Well, Adelaide's season wraps up next week with a home clash against North Melbourne. Have avoided the Wooden Spoon. North Melbourne now confirmed as Wooden Spooners for season 2021. As for the Demons, well, massive clash for them against Geelong at GMHBA Stadium. The Demons win and they take out the minor premiership for the first time in a very, very, very long time. Geelong win, well, they might win the minor premiership, but uh, big stakes for both those teams next week. Should be a cracking game. The Cats coming up against the Demons. Speaking of GMHBO Stadium, uh, that big game will be played there, but there was another far smaller in stature game played there on the Sunday afternoon. Let's talk about it. At the Cattery, Sunday afternoon, 3.20, uh, the unusual fixture of Gold Coast in an alleged home game 
taking on Essendon. Not much joy for the Suns there. Metricon Stadium would have been a pretty decent advantage for them. And uh, Brisbane, their Queensland stable mate, allowed to play at the Gabba. Unfortunately, the Suns could not play at Metricon. So down to the Cattery they went. Now the Gessenen's got that flash a record down there either, but uh, they certainly came up trumps in this one because it was a very convincing and efficient win by the Bombers in the end by 68 points. The final scores, Essendon 14-14-98 to the Suns, just four goals, six 30, just one goal in the entire second half for Gold Coast. The goal kickers, well, one man stood supreme and not for the first time this season. His name was Jake Stringer. Five goals to the package. He was terrific, won some important centre clearances, a real bull out of a centre square and then drifting forward to do plenty of damage on the scoreboard. Five goals to him. Two to Mac Guelphie playing as a defensive forward the last couple of weeks and making pretty good fist of it. Two to Alec Waterman, singles to Clark, Durham, Hind, Perkins and Smith. For Gold Coast, just the four single goal kickers, Miller, Anderson, Collins, Ballard. Well, Finey, I think a few Essendon supporters might have been uh, not that comfortable at quarter time. Essendon kicking with what seemed like a reasonably handy breeze. Uh, couldn't manage more than two goals to Gold Coast, playing a couple of spare defenders back, making life pretty difficult for Essendon's forward entries. And Essendon's forward entries weren't necessarily high quality. However, they turned that around in the second quarter into that breeze, played a far smarter brand of footy, plenty of little uh, short hit-up kicks. They got their run and overlap going and their uh, defensive rebound was superb. The Bomber defenders today, terrific. They added six goals in that second quarter to the Suns' single goal. And uh, then a bit of a training drill after that. Four goals to nothing in the third quarter. And then, uh, well, the last quarter, a bit of a waste of time, to be honest, for, in the end, a 68-point win. Like I said, uh, apart from Jake Stringer, and I'll leave you to talk about him, but thought the Essendon defence particularly good today. Um, specifically Laverde, who's just had a wonderful season. Jordan Ridley, who was probably the most dependable of all those defenders. And Mason Redmond, I thought, really good today as well. It was a pretty professional performance by Essendon. They haven't won a lot of games by a lot this year. But this one, after quarter time, they always looked in control of. Did they impress you? Yeah, on a number of fronts. And I'll start with that man, Jake Stringer. If that was an under-16s game, I reckon the opposition coach would be asking to look at his birth certificate. There were times when he really <laughs> grabbed the ball and it was basically, you can hang off me, you can do what you want, I'm going to kick a goal or I'm going to clear it out of the centre. He was a, a man amongst sometimes what looked to be kids. Of course, he's not. They're all men, but he's a powerful man. I want to talk a little bit about the coach. I don't know. How do they give coach of the year? Is it just automatically to the premiership coach still, or do they no, no, they bother do. To, to do some homework? They do some homework on it. Well, Ben Rutt is the coach of the year, and I'll explain why. Essendon were very lacklustre in that first quarter, a couple of false steps in defence, and trailing at quarter time, or might have been level, 
not good enough with that wind. Essendon of last year, a bad start only meant a worse finish. They had no ability last season to turn around a lackadaisical start. Completely different this year. They get back with the coach, they recalibrate, and they looked fantastic in that second quarter. As you say, playing the conditions. I thought Nick Hine fantastic to that end. And those two goals each to Guelphie and Waterman in the second quarter, a real feather in the cap of the coach because Guelphie, as a defensive forward, they've tried him in a few different spots, but he's shown faith there and he shows faith with Waterman. Now, here's the other thing. They played such selfless football all afternoon and that's a real feather in the cap of Ben Rutten. I'm going to be a bit harsh here, but when Devon Smith is looking up and hitting up players 15, 20 metres away, you know the message is getting across. Sorry, Devon, that's not your track record, but you're doing it now, more power to you. Good bounce back by Merritt, who was quite early, and I just think that there's a team, they're going to make the finals. I'm I'm sure of it. I I think mathematically they're almost there. But they're not. They've got to to win the last game, but I'm, I'm backing them in. But I'll say this that the future is very bright for a team. And I reckon of all the teams in the competition, Rowan, they're the ones that will want the pre-season to come around as soon as possible in 2022 to get going. Because this is a team going places, and I reckon every player at the club knows it. Yeah, they've certainly built a good head of steam in the back half of the season. Quick word on Gold Coast. Uh, They've got seven wins. They've certainly been more resilient towards the end of this season than we've become used to. I don't know. Is seven wins acceptable for them? Is it a reasonable season or are they still the same old sons? Yeah, there's some players that have finished the season off well. Others haven't. That's very sons-like. Ben King's been disappointing in the last month. I don't think he's kicked a goal in the last three weeks. Took Miller. They've got to look at players, and he's been around that club for ages now, that want to be Gold Coast Suns, not players, but part of a really good Gold Coast team and see what they're doing about going about their business. And there's a few of them, Lacocious, Will Powell. So I, I feel as though there's enough of a core of players there that actually have the club at heart and will take younger players on the journey. First time I felt that about the Gold Coast Suns, that there's a group of players really committed to the Gold Coast Suns having a successful future. To that end, it's been a season of achievement. Well, it wraps up for them next week with a game against a finalist in Sydney, uh, initially scheduled at the SCG. Can Can, can I just quickly get your take on it? Whether it's been a worthwhile season? Uh, I think they've made some progress. Uh, I still, I'd like to see them cut out performances like today's because it was pretty shabby. And they were pretty shabby against Melbourne a fortnight ago. And in between, they had a really impressive win over Carlton. So, you know, the ups and downs are still way too uh, uh, dramatic for me. They need to flatten the curve a bit. But, yeah, look, some progress has been made. And uh, you'd think Stuart Dew certainly goes on with it next year. Like I said, the Suns play Sydney next week, scheduled for the SCG. Have any money you like uh, on it not being there. Who knows where it'll be, but that is their last game of the season. As for the Bombers, well, 
their finals destiny in their own hands. Simply, if they beat Collingwood next week, that game at the MCG, Essendon will be in the finals. Probably get packed off to Brisbane and be cannon fodder for the Lions in a disturbingly recurring storyline. Anyway, it would be a good achievement by them. One game left on round 22, and it was as big as they come. It was a Western Derby. Well, a cracking game left last on the schedule this week. They don't come much bigger in Perth or even in Australia, really, than a WA Derby. And this one, with massive stakes attached to it, both West Coast and Fremantle desperately needing a win to stay in the finals race. This has been a clash the Eagles have dominated for years now, 11 Derby wins in a row, Fremantle's last victory all the way back in 2015, the year they topped the AFL ladder. Well, the curse was broken. Fremantle got up and in the process, uh, dealing West Coast finals hopes, perhaps a mortal blow. A bit more on that as we talk about this. The Eagles uh, will need to get the job done in Brisbane next week and rely on other results Freo in a similar sort of position, though, but have kept their finals hopes alive. It was a cracking game, very exciting. Fremantle, in the end, 15-point victors, 12 goals, 7, 79, defeating West Coast, 9, 10, 64. The goal kickers, 3 to Tabiner, 2 to Schultz, 2 to Sarong, including just an amazing goal, difficult to describe in the last quarter. Singles to Chera, Collier, Darcy, Mundy and Tracy for the Eagles, three to Kennedy, three to Ryan, two to Darling, and a single to Withered and Welfiny. All set up in the first quarter. One of the best quarters of a Derby Frio surely has ever played. Eight goals, two they rattled on against the Eagles to go to the first break with a 30 point lead. That lead, in fact, got up to 40 points, but back came the Eagles. And in fact, closed within a goal of the Dockers in a gripping last quarter. Credit to Frio, though. They steadied and found something when they needed to. And in the end, hung on for a very meritorious 15-point win. It was a very tense final term, finally. Not just the supporters of those two sides, but supporters of other sides uh, upon whom the result made a fair bit of difference. What would you make of this one? First of all, that amazing goal by Sarong, which you said was hard to describe. Well, I can describe it like this. The ball was out. shouldn't have been a goal. Shows a little bit... I mean, it was amazing. It was unbelievable. Uh, people that didn't see it four or five times looked like the ball was going to go out, and it didn't. It was as though the boundary line was a fence, and finally Sarong kicked an impossible snap. But shows a bit of the anomaly with the... Um, the referred decisions to the score review because that can't be reviewed, but a goal that without review would have just gone straight through as a goal 20 seconds into the last quarter, unfortunately for West Coast Eagles, uh, was kicked by Kennedy, I think, or Darwin? Uh, it was Cripps. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry, Cripps. Yeah, yeah. That was deemed correctly to have been touched. Now, unfortunately, that's a bit of the anomaly, but they're the rules. Beyond that, Fremantle, 
There's so many talking points in this game. I'll say this, Rowan. Football has seemed a little bit flat over the last couple of years. Because when you make a cake, you need all the ingredients. You can't have a good cake without sugar. And the sugar of football is the crowd. To have a capacity crowd in a game that means so much to those people with spots in the eight on the line, that's what makes footy great. That's what really creates heroes. And there were heroes in that game, weren't there? I want to talk about Griffin Logue, who made a bad blue and gifted a goal to Liam Ryan midway through that last quarter. He went third man up, left Ryan on his own, bad play. After that, he was fantastic. Forceful defensive punctures, met the ball, really was a a brick wall in defence thereafter. So, well done, G. Logue. It was just a really good game to watch, I felt. West Coast style is a little bit conservative, trying to keep possession. Fremantle having more dash. But in the end, you thought with all those good forwards, West Coast just need to get it in there and get the result. You know, for me, the most important goal of the game, Rowan, kicked by that ex-bomber. Did his old team a favour, Travis Collier, because they could not score in that third quarter. And just on the siren virtually, he did kick that nice running goal. So been a long time since he's worn the red and black, but I reckon a few Bomber fans were cheering his name at three-quarter time. It was a good goal and uh, a really good win uh, to the Dockers. And, look, credit to them. I certainly had my doubts when the Eagles closed within even a couple of goals. I think I tweeted something to the effect, Frio's going to you-know-what this up, aren't they? It just had that look about it, but they really dug in and probably controlled the last five minutes in terms of possession. So a good effort there. I think a couple of costly things for the Eagles. First, injury to Tim Kelly, which saw him subbed out of the game. They couldn't afford that, and particularly couldn't afford that with Dom Sheed being unusually quiet. I think at one stage in the second quarter, he'd only had about two touches, ended up with 16 for the game, but far from his usual influential self. Uh, gee, the Dockers like making it hard for themselves sometimes. That's what I've always felt with them. And they'll come up with weird and wacky ways to lose the ball or miss opportunities. Uh, but they prevailed and they deserve to prevail on the back of that stunning first quarter. And I think that's a bit of um, of, the, of this game that Justin Longmuir will be focusing on. Even if they don't make finals, you look at quarters like that and that's what would give them hope. The young players on song... Sarong, terrific, I thought. Tabena becoming a really strong and reliable forward. Schultz offering a bit of life up forward. Sean Darcy, we know what a prospect he is. Look, there's some really good signs there for them. I hope they hang on to Adam Chera because he's pivotal to any plans they have going ahead, whether they make finals or not. What about the Eagles? It's going to be tough for them. They have had a disappointing season Pretty hard to see them pinching a win against a Brisbane, which needs to win to get top four at the Gabba. Can you see it? I'm not sure I can. No, that that style of football, Rowan, of trying to possess the ball, work it around the ground till you can get it into your big key forwards. The problem with that is that when the game needs engagement, needs contested ferocity, it's hard for some of those players to click into that next gear. And I find that that's where they get found wanting. When when the game is more desperate, yeah, look, they, they 
are a composed side with many experienced players who are good by foot. And, of course, you kick it to the advantage of a Darling or a Ryan or a Kennedy or Allen if he's up forward, you'll come out on top. But games, especially finals football, and this was finals-like, are often won down on the ground. And I don't think they engage well there. I just want to mention something about Frio. They had to play some real unknowns, lesser lights, you might say, and they all stood up. I thought Crowden was really good. Lloyd Meek contested fantastically well against, you know, Nat Nui, who's a star. That Walker, has he got a future or what, dashing off the back line? So good effort by some of these lesser-known players who really stood up today. Yeah, they've certainly found some reserves of depth and of resilience, I think it's fair to say, over the last few weeks, particularly since they've been without Fife and Walters, obviously. So uh, promising future for Justin Longmuir's team. Not sure we can argue that about the Eagles, although let's see, maybe they can still mount a heroic recovery. That crucial game for them next week, scheduled for the Gabba against Brisbane. Fremantle, meanwhile, will take on St Kilda at Marvel Stadium. Uh, the Saints now not with anything to play for. The Dockers with plenty. So let's see if that gives them a decent performance on the road. That was a really exciting round of football wrapped up, which leaves one segment in this show. And it's that segment where we uh, get a bit angry and get some you-know-what off our chest, Finey. Let's have a crack at it. On Footyology... The rant off. All right, I'm looking forward to your rant today, Finey. I have had a, uh, a sneak preview, at least, of uh, what you have on your ranting agenda, and I like the sound of it. So looking forward to that. I've got a few observations uh, shaped on some of the results this weekend I'd like to share in rant form, and I'll be interested in your reaction. Would you please count me in? Uh, Ransom's the best form. Go for it at one, two, and three. I'm pissed off with 18 AFL teams, Finey. None of them are any good. Well, hang on. A few of them have their moments, I guess. But if we were going to have some sort of super flag where premiers of different years played off against each other for a World Series, as the Yanks like to call the winners of one of their domestic sporting competitions, the 2021 version would be more likely to be fighting it out for the wooden spoon. Don't get me wrong. I'm quite enjoying the openness of this year's flag race and that battle for the last couple of spots in the final eight, even if that's been about who can at least not lose this week. But even at the other end of the eight, we have teams which aren't exactly a ringing endorsement for the supposed invincibility of the eventual premiership outfit. I mean, compare Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs with, say, Hawthorne of the mid-1980s, for example. Can you imagine what the likes of Dunstall, Platten, Ayres, Brereton, etc. would do to today's doggies or demons? I reckon it'd be like the seniors up against the under-15s. What about Essendon of 2000? Lost just one game out of 25. Or those muscle-bound Brisbane sides that went the three-peat. Or even the Hawks of the mid-2010s. All of them would be toying with these contenders like a cat with a mouse. Can you imagine if that Geelong side, which swept through 2007, took on the current incarnation of the Cats? I reckon you might end up with a similar sort of margin to what that 2007 lineup racked up against Port Adelaide the day they broke their flag drought. 
Our top teams this year have all got weak spots. None of them are as dependable as those mighty teams of the old days, far more capable of getting spanked by a bottom team if they're not on their game. Melbourne, for example, won nine games in a row, then lost to a potential wooden spooner and only managed to draw with another. The Demons are also taking to this finals campaign a considerable weight on their shoulders in the shape of a 57-year premiership dry spell. That might be as big an issue for them as any opponent they actually have to play. What about the Bulldogs? Well, they've started to get the wobbles now after losses to Essendon and Hawthorne and the loss of one key forward in Josh Bruce. The Doggies were supposed to be the free-scoring side of the competition. Bruce goes over and all of a sudden they're held to just five goals by the Hawks. Don't think that's going to be enough come finals time. Port Adelaide? Well, they're good at beating up on the teams below them. Not so flash at beating the opponents on the same level or better. Brisbane? Sure, looked a million dollars on Saturday night, but only a couple of weeks ago it lost three out of four. Sydney? Look, the Swans have been great to watch, but how many kids are running around for them? Check out McInerney, Golden, Campbell, Warner, McLean, Wicks, McDonald. These guys could probably still front up for New South Wales in the under-18 state championships next year. And seventh and eighth spot? Oh, spare me. Whoever it is in the end, we already know they're not going to be good enough to go all the way. Look, there's obvious explanations for all this, of course. 18 teams have spread the talent pool wider. The salary cap makes it tough. And now COVID has bitten into clubs' football budget so hard, the senior coach ends up cutting the oranges just as much as he does actually working on game plans. The AFL competition, as a result, is more even than it's ever been. Look at how well bottom-of-the-ladder sides like North Melbourne and Hawthorne have been performing lately. What we need to work out, though, is whether they actually are that much more competitive than their predecessors at the bottom in other seasons, or whether it's just because there's no one at the top good enough to beat up on them anymore. 2021 will still be an AFL Premiership hard one, finally, but will it be the testament to football excellence we've come to expect? Or this season, is it just about who can actually get their shit together for longer than five minutes? I wonder. I think you make a very good point. I heard a couple of doggy supporters didn't agree with you. They were barking. But, um, yeah, you're right. But that makes for an interesting final series, doesn't it? It does. It does. I just miss excellence in football. I don't know. If it's a trade-off between evenness and excellence, I'd probably lean more towards excellence. But uh, that's just me getting further and deeper into my crusty old codger stage of life. And there'll be plenty more of that to come if we... God help me keep this going for the next few years. All right, Finey, on that note, I defer to you. Been looking forward to what you have to offer us today. I'm going to count you in now. Three, two, one, rant. Well, I turned on the TV yesterday. St Kilda's along, huge game for both teams. And what was the opening shot I saw? A picture of the commentary box with commentators in it. So incredible was the sight of having commentators at a game of football not calling off the TV that it warranted the opening shot prior to the match to herald the moment. What happened? Did Fox Football enter Powerball, win First Division and get enough money to send commentators to the ground? Or did they finally wake up to the half-assed, half-baked, half-good commentary that you get when commentators work off a TV screen. I can tell you that the players 
former players involved up there certainly appreciated being able to provide special comments that were special. Looking at the entire ground, Jason Dunstall gave valuable insight into the state of the game, St Kilda's lack of run in the last quarter, spread, the effectiveness of Max King when mobile. All of this able to be done because he was at the game and saw the game unfold on an entire ground. You know why they put commentary positions on centre wing, not behind a pillar with limited view at the MCG or at other grounds? Because seeing the entire ground allows the commentators to paint the picture and expand upon what you see on the TV screen. I don't need people calling what I'm seeing on TV. I can do that myself. I'll get you over, Rowan, for special comments. Or you can walk the boundary. Or in this case, walk around my living room and pretend it's the boundary. Because that's what they're doing back in the studio. It's even worse for radio commentary. That is supposed to give us, when we don't see the images, even a better picture of what's happening. I look forward to the day when Foxtel or Channel 7 fail to pay their subscriptions and go go it without the internet. (sighs) Nothing to call. Nothing but snow. (laughs) What will they do then? They'll give you nothing, which is pretty similar to what you're getting at the moment unless they're at the ground. Hallelujah. They did it for one game and they better keep bloody doing it because otherwise... I'm turning the volume down and Rowan, you and I in my living room will provide the commentary. Oh, I look forward to that. Yes, no, here, here, very good rant indeed. We've gone on about this all season and I did see that shot you uh, refer to of, uh, who was it, Gary Lyon, Nick Rewalt, Jason, uh, Nick Rewalt, Jason Dunstall in the box there. Uh, It's a novel concept, certainly, finding, let's hope, that it actually catches on in these uh, COVID-riddled and uh, uh, cost-cutting times in TV football broadcasting. And you know what? If Channel 7 send Brian Taylor to GMHBA, maybe he can catch up with that ghost of Tom Harley he saw. (laughs) That's right. Yes, that was an interesting one last week. Uh, All right, that wraps it up for this week. Thanks to your company. This podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. And what about our other wonderful sponsors, Finey? Oh, could I go a burger now? I could go an Andrews Burger anytime. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. You need to be within the five kilometres, I guess, but they remain open and their fans in the vicinity are wrapped. And so are people still moving into houses built by West Point Properties. Of course, construction continues with limitations, but they continue to churn out some of the most beautiful inner-city suburb, suburban refits, rebuilds, and new builds. West Point Property, Nick Spartels, a big thumbs up to you, sir. And don't forget also the best sports data analysts in the caper, Stats Insider, They deal with a range of more than 15 sports globally and they sample a sporting event more than 10,000 times to give you the best range of probable and possible outcomes. And the EPL kicking off again on Saturday evening, on Friday evening, actually. So a lot of material to work with now. Check them out. Some great writing 
on the website too. In fact, I'll be pinning a column for them this week. So look out for that one and give them a follow on social media at Stats Insider. Of course, we value your support. Please, uh, you can show your financial support for Footyology at the supporter page, wherever you're listening to this podcast, or better still, become an official Footyology patron through Patreon. And the links to Patreon, a wonderful independent platform supporting independent journalism, writing and publishing, can be found all over the Footyology website, which has a ton of terrific reading on it. I, it really, I really mean that. So check it out if you haven't had a look at it. Thanks to your company, everyone. Hope your team got a good win this weekend. Better luck next week. If they didn't, we'll catch you later.